Hey friends, I'm Renee. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Today we are talking about what we're reading, we're discussing, finally, Avengers Endgame, and also Shuri by Nadia Korfor. Anna, what have you been reading? As you know, I have this long-ass commute and also has some holidays. And I managed to, to read one book on my holidays. What? Miracles do happen. I read Unraveling by Karen Lord, which is a standalone novel and a return to the same world as her Redemption in Indigo, which I loved and was published like one million years ago. It's a murder mystery with a side of fantasy. The narrative itself is kind of like a maze it's really confusing to start with and you get thrown into it just like the main character gets thrown into it and there is a literal maze that she needs to navigate and the narrative is kind of like that too so it all unravels towards the ending i thought it was really impressive how it was done i listened to with the fire on high by elizabeth acevedo it's a ya novel about a teen mom who is about to graduate high school and she has a two-year-old child and it's remarkably free of drama. There is no tragedy or anything like that. She's a wonderful cook. She wants to become a chef. She has a child, yes. She also has a best friend and a boy that she's falling in love with and her abuela who takes care of her. And it's a beautiful story and it's narrated by Elizabeth Azevedo herself. And it's beautifully done. Kind of like very poetic writing. I was really into it. Made me cry multiple times, but it's so hopeful and uplifting. And I think I saw a short interview with the author talking about how she wanted to write about a teen pregnancy. And the teen is a black Puerto Rican. And the author um, is black herself. And she just wanted to write a story that was not a tragic story. I also listened to a non-fiction book. What? Yeah! <laughs> I know! Uh, called Killers of the Flower Moon by David Graham. And it's a true crime. Renee, it made me so angry. Have you heard of this book? I... Th- mm, mm, no. Okay, it takes place in the 1920s. It is about the Osage, um, a group of indigenous um, Americans who were taken away from their lands and given new lands to live in, they just happened to have a lot of oil. All of a sudden, these people, the Osage, were the wealthiest people on the planet per capita. And then the white people were like, no. So one by one, these people start dying, poisoned, murdered, set on fire, the first people from the FBI decide to investigate. And what they discover is just mind-blowing. It's just, it's just so maddening. But it's really interesting because it's 
not only about these people, this particular crime, but also about the birth of the FBI. There were so many things that made me angry. So, for example, at one point, white people of this town decided that the Osage, even though they were rich themselves, could not take care of their money. So they were each appointed a white guardian to handle their finance. So these people who were super rich could not even touch their money and they were just dying. If you ever get a chance to read some of the primary source documents that this guy probably used to write this book, I highly recommend, but uh, also you might want to take a Xanax first. The audiobook is excellent. It actually has three different people narrating the three different parts. Very sad, but awesome. The last book that I read was Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey, which I have described as the magicians meets Harry Potter meets Tana French, but without douchebag characters. Imagine if you are in the Harry Potter world and you have a twin sister. And the twin sister gets a letter to Hogwarts, but you don't. And the book's from the perspective of the sister who stays behind, who one day is called, she's a private detective, to investigate a gruesome murder within the Magic Academy. And it's full of teenagers, and it's full of adults, and it's full of queer choir. It was amazing. I loved it. I loved all of these books that I read recently. I've I've been on a really good reading stretch recently. What about you, Renee? What have you been reading? So I've had a pretty good reading stretch as well. I read The Bride Test by Helen Huang, which is the next book after The Kiss Quotient that follows more members of Michael's family, in this case, Kai, who is autistic and doesn't date. His mom goes to find him a bride slash girlfriend slash potential wife. And so the girl renames herself as Esme. And comes to California to see if she can make things work with Kai. I love this book. I loved Esme. I loved Kai. I loved the relationship. But I needed it to be like 100 pages pages longer because Esme has a daughter. And the book doesn't really have Esme tell Kai about the daughter until they meet. Until the daughter and Kai meet. In the end. Everything about this book except for that one thing. I was just like, I needed more space in this book. For them to to discuss the fact that there is a small child involved here. And you're not only asking this autistic man to, like, deal with his feelings and romance and sexual relationships. But also, hi, you're about to be a stepfather. This might just be a cultural thing for me. This might just be something that's maybe, in this culture, normal. And it's not a big deal. I would have just liked a little bit more communication about that fact. I read this book too, and I am in complete agreement. Everything else was great. Although I did I did think they were all very pushy towards Kai making grand gestures of saying I love you and, and such. But the relationship was great. The, the romance was lovely. The sex was just so hot. And um, when I was left like, oh my God, really? She introduced the daughter like this. Anyway... I will go into battle for Helen Huang. I will. I've loved everything that she's written so far. There's another book in this universe coming out. Oh my god, the brother? Yeah. I was this was one of my like most anticipated books and it actually like really lived up to my expectations, which doesn't always happen when you have anticipated books, but this one did. The next book I read was Red White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuinston, and it's about the president's son and a UK prince 
banging and then falling in love and all like the political fallout from what happens when two like incredibly important political figures and representatives of two different countries like get outed does it have a happy ending yes and what's really weird about red white and world blue is that i kept seeing it crop up in ya rex which is strange because it's not ya at all it's definitely an adult romance i hadn't seen this book at all until i saw our slack group talking about it over here at least it like hit that weird marketing space where why an adult fiction kind of merge i know that there's like a fancy new term for this called like new adult or something i don't know what that's about but it feels like it has a lot of crossover appeal but it's very adorable and i highly recommend it it's got a lot of feelings next i read another anticipated book which is the third in the series it's blood witch by susan denard <sighs> the series anna so the first book, Truth Witch, I was like, this should have been queer. What the fuck? I was very upset about the lack of queerness in that first book. I remember. And then the second book was like, <laughs> guess what? I'm going to suck you in. You're going to be cheering for these het ships. I tricked you. And I'm like, God damn it, Susan Dennard, you got me. How dare you? So here I am with the third book, Blood Witch. And I can't say too much about it because spoilers, but the ship that I came into this book for... Listen, I'm just going to spoil it. So if you're planning on reading this book, I'm going to spoil this one tiny thing. Do not go into this book thinking that these characters are going to fucking make out. It's not going to happen. Susan Denard is going to kiss block you through the whole book. Oh, no. I mean, she's kind of a genius. However, I'm, I'm in pain. So is it the end of this? No, there's more books. So is it good so far? Continues to be good? I mean, I continue to want to know what's happening in this world. I don't understand some of where some the villains are coming from. Like, I want to know what's happening. Good, if you like YA fantasy. But this apparently is just going to be a series, like a long series, multiple books. Because this was book three. There are little side stories that are like novellas, I think. But there has to be a book after this, or else I'm going to go to this publisher. I think it's Tor Teen and bust down a door and go where the fuck is the next book because you're not leaving it there so so far i've been having a pretty good reading time can't complain good well obviously i can't complain because i did complain about some of these things <laughs> but in general pretty good reading time space bees what have you been reading what have you loved what do we need to put on our tbr list please let us know It's been over a decade in the making, but we finally reached the end of this current cinematic story that Marvel has been telling us. We have reached Avengers Endgame. I cried in the theater. I cried when I read the spoilers before going to the theater, then I cried again in the theater. I did not cry when I read the spoilers. I was too numb. Anyway, this whole segment is going to be full of spoilers for Avengers Endgame, so if you haven't seen it yet... But if you don't care about spoilers, you can come along with us and listen to us yell. In happiness and sadness. Both. There's both here. Let's talk first about stuff that we loved. Well, let's stop the fact this is a time travel movie. A literal time travel heist where they have to go back in the past and pluck the Infinity Stones from the past and bring them into the present so that they could revert what happened. But not from the moment that it happened. From the moment where they were all in so five years after the snap 
I loved everything about the time travel. I was hoping this was going to be a time travel movie and I was not disappointed. I'm not sure it makes complete sense. I'm not sure that it stands to really close scrutiny. I am also not sure that I really care. Yeah, we can't talk about whether the time travel holds up because this is a stuff we love section. And if we stay here too long, it will quickly become Renee's piss. Yes, it was a time travel movie. As soon as I saw that it was a time travel movie, I'm like, Anna's going to be so happy. Here's the thing, though. I didn't mind the time travel parts of this film. Hmm, good. I thought it was pretty well done for what it was. I think my problem with time travel is often people are time traveling and they are going through shenanigans in the time that they're going to, like, really embarrassing situations. Like slapstick, kind of. What time travel movies have you watched? I would have to think about it. But I feel like with time travel, the also the getting caught part is very anxiety-inducing for me, which also mm, makes me not yeah. like it. The getting caught part didn't actually become an issue because they didn't treat it like an issue. Like, they just interacted with the people in the past like mm-hmm. normal. So, yeah. Another thing that I loved, and the more I think about it, the more I like this side of the movie. And it really surprises me because it's such an otherwise minor character that I don't think anybody gives a lot of credit to his movies. But I really loved everything about Ant-Man. I've seen people complaining that the moment when he comes out of the quantum realm and walks around, it's maybe too long. But I thought it was really emotional. I thought it was really beautifully done. And the moment when he finds his daughter, who is like the main character in his the main person in his life, right? And and, and a driving force in all of his movies so far. I, I just loved it so much. The other moment that I loved was, of course, the moment when everybody came back and T'Challa and Shuri were the first ones to walk out. This is an incredible cinematographic moment. I have seen that part multiple times on YouTube. And the music in that, the soundtrack in that was just very powerful. The other part, of course, and I can't see how anybody would not be excited about this, was when Steve got to yield Mjolnir and Thorin like, I knew it! And I thought that was so amazing. I mean, we all knew it, obviously. And then finally, my last bit that I love was everything about Tony Stark. It was, I think, a great ending for that character. And I think it was really well done. And it was a beautiful arc. And I cried a whole lot. What are your five things, Renee? So um, I guess mine are kind of cheating because I really only have three. First off is Nebula. I loved her arc in this so much. I love that they made her this really important main character. I like the way that they centered her in this narrative instead of sort of centering Thanos. Obviously, Thanos is an important character, but he's been kind of underdeveloped in the whole cinematic universe so far. But instead of like focusing on him, they pulled back to Nebula a little bit and used her experience uh, learning about who Thanos was, showed us who Nebula was before, and just really anchored the story around Nebula and Nebula's choices, both Nebulas, I suppose. I am very curious to see what happens with Nebula in the third Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Who's that thought here? They really lifted her up and made her a very important character in like a very solid way. Next, obviously, Tony. Tony and Nebula. Hello. (laughs) Back again to Nebula. Tony 
fascinated me because at the beginning of the film when he they when he gets rescued by Carol and she brings him back to earth and he's just like he's on IVs he's he's lost weight he's very ill and he and Steve get in this awful fight they call back to a moment where Steve said if we lose we'll do that together too so everything all his fears that Wanda like brought to the surface came true so is it any wonder that he is like cynical and dismissive when the Avengers come and be like hey we want to do this thing but I also like the fact that he knew immediately how to how to do the thing. He was like, I'm gonna put in these I'm gonna put in these codes and see what happens. Oh shit, I solved it. I know how to do it. And once he knows that he can fix it, he can't not tell them. And I also really loved his relationship with his daughter. We didn't get a lot of him and Pepper, not really, but we did get a lot of him with his daughter. Oh my god. Oh, my heart. You can see him being like, he knows what it is to be a father now, but like Peter. And so it complicates his decision to help because he doesn't want to lose his daughter. And I think that's fair, right? People moved on. People made new lives. They had kids. Nobody wants to have to go back to a past and know that what they've left behind. So it's this really interesting moral question. So when Tony agrees, he's like, but everything has to stay the same. Number one, that's a great sentiment. However, there's going to be some probably really upset people when they come back and find that their spouses have moved on. I want to read all the fic about that. But Tony's story, his arc over the series, has been one that I've really identified with. A lot of people don't like Tony Stark. And I'm very aware that they don't like Tony Stark. Because I had to block a lot of people on Tumblr. But he has always been the heart of the series. For me, because that was my entry point, was Iron Man. And just the way that they created the character. It felt hard to lose one of your favorite characters. It was really hard for me. I knew it was coming because I got spoiled deliberately, but it still was kind of awful to watch it happen, even though it was a good ending. It was appropriate. He spent years having things that he made used to hurt people, and all that he wanted to do after that was make sure the world was safe, to use his resources and his knowledge to protect people. It was fitting, but it was incredibly sad. I can't say that I love to watch, to watch him die but i thought that the way that it happened was appropriate for the type of character that he was and also i loved that they put pepper in the rescue suit finally and i love that she got to be there with him him and peter and him and pepper at the very end and the last thing is carol carol in this movie i loved her i loved her her line where she is giving natasha a report and they're like oh are you not coming back and she's like listen this happened all over the galaxy. You're not the only ones. And nobody had you guys. Nobody else had people like you. So she's helping everywhere. So she's super busy. And I mean, I thought we would see more of her powers in the final battle. In hindsight, I'm not too upset about it. Because the ways that she's engaged were super awesome. Her haircut was on point. Lesbian icon. Thank you so much. By taking her out of the narrative, it actually gave space for Wanda to come in and have her moment with Thanos too. Because if you remember the last film, like she was standing between Thanos and Vision. And so for them to remember to give her this moment in this film at the end in the last battle and show just how powerful Wanda is was really, really good. But there was also some stuff that was good, but. So Anna, why don't you go first and I'll follow up. Yeah, the good but session is a session about Steve Rogers' butt. (laughs) Get it? Get it? Good butt? Good butt? 
I get it, Anna. I get it. Thank you. Thank you for your service. The good bud session for me, it's just two things, really. I think this is going to be controversial because from what I've been reading, most people would probably disagree with me, but I really liked everything the Natasha and Thor's storyline with a few caveats. Both of them were, well, all of them were, obviously, all of the core Avengers were experiencing during those five years post-snap, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, Thor, because he had a chance to kill Thanos and didn't and lost everything. Natasha also lost everything. And they dealt with their loss in completely different ways. Thor quit everything. He's fat in the movie. And sadly, this was played for jokes by some of the characters. Rocket Raccoon shouldn't count in this because he's a jerk. Anyway, an asshole that that would make that makes just the most horrendous jokes. But there are other characters that comment on it. But those things don't affect Thor himself. They don't stick, which I thought was really interesting. Um, I liked that, for example, in the end, we don't get to see a quick montage of him losing weight. No, he kicks ass in the last battle just as he was because he wasn't bothered by it at all. He was bothered by not feeling worthy, because of the mistake he made at the end of Infinity Game. And when he just, and then he realized that he's actually worthy, is a beautiful moment. I, I saw a lot of people talking how he was the comic relief. Maybe a lot of people don't realize that sometimes people with anxiety and depression actually use humor as a defense mechanism. And I saw myself in Thor because. Half my sessions with my therapist is me making horrible jokes, trying to make her laugh, trying to make myself laugh, and just like deflecting every single thing. And that really stuck with me. And in the end, I just got to see him being so generous with Steve yielding Mjolnir and Valkyrie being the new queen. I don't know. I am a huge fan of Thor as a character. And I think his arc was also really great. Meanwhile, Natasha is completely different. She's taking on more responsibilities than ever before. She's effectively running the Avengers, effectively controlling and, and defending the world by herself with her, you know, web of spies and web of other superheroes, which is something that... I think it's also a really good arc for her because she has always been kind of like the most egotistic, self-involved Avenger in many ways. She was always out for herself and just grudgingly becoming part of a team. And this is why I think her sacrificing herself actually makes a lot of sense. Even though I just was so sad about her death, I also feel like women get to do stupid sacrificing too yeah but you can't take it in isolation that's the problem exactly that's my butt and then you have the flip side those things don't happen in a vacuum she's one of the few female characters she sacrifices herself for a douchebag even though their relationship has been at the core of their both their characters since the first avengers movie but the fact that she chooses chooses to sacrifice herself for the guy who has a family even though the guy is an assassin of brown people in the past five years, makes no sense. Thor's fatness played for laughs is just a problem of our society. 
So I wish I could just embrace those stories for what they were, but I understand that I can't. See, unfortunately for me, Thor and Natasha are not in my stuff that was good butt section. They are like wholly in my stuff that was bad. Being a fat person sitting in a theater watching people laugh at that, I don't know how to express how dehumanizing it is. Being a depressed person who I who has gained a lot of weight because they're depressed, because they have anxiety, because they have mental health problems, and watching people treat it like a joke is demoralizing. I'm ashamed of the Russos. I'm ashamed of Marvel. I don't think it's going to age well. I think the Avengers films, the, where we bring all the characters together, I think that we have determined, at least I have through watching all these films, is that the format doesn't work. Because to make all the characters' arcs make sense and be emotionally resonant, you have to know those characters. And I think one of the big problems with Natasha's storyline is that you don't really, you never really saw those two characters work together. Yeah, you can be cute about it and reference Budapest. Sure, okay. But we never saw their stories. All the stuff you said about Thor was true. It's good that we don't see him like suddenly drop the weight, but people are cruel to him about it. And I'm not sure that for people like me, the good parts of his story come through because the other characters in the narrative treat him like a joke. So I do see your points, and I do think they're good ones. You know, characters characters are created by people, and in this case, you can 100% tell this movie was like largely written by men. Oh, we're back. <laughs> you could tell this movie was written by men. I do have stuff that was good, but I've already discussed it. Time travel. It was good, but time travel. <laughs> and mostly the but comes from the fact that the Russos have been going around the internet trying to explain the time tra- tra- travel. Peggy's kids were also Steve's kids. And I'm just like, wait, if, huh? And Steven, Steve and Sharon were like actually dating and living together. Like, what? Like, don't try to explain the time travel. It doesn't work. They're like, oh, but the time travel doesn't expect, affect this timeline. But if it doesn't affect this timeline, how in the hell did Steve go back in time to a different timeline, but then suddenly end up back in our timeline old? He didn't use a time machine. Are you saying he just aged up, but you said it was a different timeline. So what? So the best, best explanation that I saw for this is that he used the pin particles to just jump from one timeline to another. How he found out how he could do that, I do not know. Maybe he asked his universe's version of Tony Stark to help him. Anyway, stuff that was good, but Steve and Peggy. I'm not going to begrudge any Steve and Peggy fan for that ending because Lord knows that the series has hinted enough that Steve was just like, fuck the future. And that he's expressed so much regret over the chance that he lost with Peggy that I'm like, whatever, great, super. He got to go back in time. My problem was that by doing this and centering the Steve and Peggy relationship so heavily, they effectively erased the friendship between Steve and Bucky in ways that just made it not important, which was really weird because the Winter Soldier, that was the whole plot of the Winter Soldier. Like, that was the main plot, was Steve and Bucky's friendship. I know, but, like, the knowing smile that Bucky gave him, Bucky knew he was not coming back. That's not my point. My point is that knowing smiles are not actually, like, emotional payoff. What's emotional payoff is what happened between Steve and Peggy, but we get nothing 
for Steve and Bucky's friendship. It's like they went so no homo that they just basically pretended it didn't exist. A knowing smile is not content. A knowing smile is an actor throwing fans a phone because the writers did shit. Steve and Peggy's great, yes, but I'm mad that by like anchoring Steve and Peggy's relationship, romantic relationship, they ended up erasing an intimate friendship between men, which given our cultural moment and how much emotional labor women have to do for men in relationships because men don't know how to make friends it feels like very irresponsible to erase an intimate male friendship and i'm not talking about like shipping or slash or anything i'm talking about an intimate male friendship it just feels like a huge misstep to remove that almost wholesale from the narrative in order to be like okay yeah now you're complete with this romantic sexual relationship but now i want to hear because then we're going to switch over and talk about stuff that was bad. And I want to hear this TED talk about Hawkeye. Continue. I don't understand why they centered so much this story and Natasha's story on this dude. Like he was always the boring Avenger. And the fact that he was Ronin, who the fuck Ronin is, by going around, around the world, killing brown people who are criminals or whatever, but like assassinating them. And then getting to live to get his wife and kids back and then Natasha dying for this. For me, that was the worst part of the movie. The thing about Hawkeye is that he had some small parts early on. Like there was a part in Thor. He always worked better as this little character that just popped up and had a few lines and then vanished again. He never. We never got to see him in his own context. Like we never got a movie with him. We never got like anything to attach us to him except for... Like the main Avengers films? Because we have seen much more Natasha than we ever saw of Hawkeye. I think the movie worked for me much more than it worked for a lot of people. I loved this character so much. I was so connected to these characters and seeing them all coming together. For me, it had a huge emotional payoff. I think the Russo's just ruined it for me. They had all this goodwill after Winter Soldier. And since then, they've just been squandering it. Their heterosexism is just super obvious and gross. I'm just really mad at the Russos right now. So the fact that they're engaging in what I call the rolling effect, where they come back and retcon everything to make things make more sense, is not helping. But now, before we go, the things in the movie that we wanted to see that we didn't get to see. Well, I was really expecting Carol to come and solve everybody's problems, which I understand and appreciate that it's not really feasible because then what would be the point of having the Avengers at all if you could just have Carol Danvers? On one hand, it was my dream content. On the other hand, I just, I think it would have been not very good if it was, if it had been that easy. (laughs) Uh, The other thing, there was nothing to connect the next stage, I guess. Of Marvel, I, I was hoping they would introduce new characters here, kind of like how they introduced Spider-Man in, in Civil War, for example, but they didn't. Another thing that I really wanted to see and never got to see was Bruce and Natasha getting together. And now it will never happen. <laughs> you, were, you were really into that ship, huh? I was. Sorry I have too many heterosexual feelings. <laughs> it's okay. You're a heterosexual, so it's fine. So at the very beginning of Endgame, we are seeing a storage facility full of a van and a bunch of stuff that belonged to the Pims. And at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp, which I thought was very tonally weird for the end of that movie, Scott goes to the quantum realm and then the snap happens and Hope 
her and her parents disappear. And Scott is trapped. Turns out, however, he was not trapped for five years, but just five hours. So it wasn't that long for him. But he's trapped there. The van's in storage. And there is there is a rat crawling around inside the van. And the rat crawls over the switch for the little quantum thingy and spits Scott out. Now, I understand why it was a rat. It's a storage facility. But it could just have easily been a squirrel with a little pink ribbon. Can you imagine? Yeah. People would have been like, what? A squirrel with a ribbon? That's fucking weird. But a lot of people would have been like, oh my god! So I don't... I understand why I didn't do it. Me and KJ had this discussion about how there's not a lot of like squirrels in San Francisco. I understand why they did it, but I'm still like, you had this perfect chance to do a little little crumb. I'm mostly just sad that Squirrel Girl is ending. And then I kind of expected there to be some kind of hint about Kamala somewhere. What I really wanted from either Captain Marvel or this film was just a little quick scene with a little Pakistani-American girl watching television with her family. Oh my god. But I didn't get it. That's okay. I'll live. I mean, overall, when I was in the theater watching the film, I liked it a whole bunch. I liked the movie. The longer, if I try to think about it too closely, I'm like, mm. So I just don't try to, I just try not to think about it too closely. I just move on. I'm like, mm, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. I watched it. It was good. And then my brain starts going trying to figure, I'm like, nope, I'm not thinking about that. <laughs> Goodbye. I just want to end on, I just want to end on good feelings. Because this has been a long journey. Four space bees. Yeah, I'm surprised by your four space bees. I would like to give it five. Because of my emotions. It's fair. It's always fun to give stuff five space bees for emotions. Okay, space bees, those are our thoughts about Avengers in game. And if you have similar thoughts or even conflicting thoughts, please let us know because we will have some caps lock email discussions with you about them. We would love to. Just try not to make me think too closely about the time travel mechanics because my brain will explode. Thank you. On what should have been a quick space mission in a spaceship of Shuri's design, her brother T'Challa and the Black Panther goes missing. Everyone wants Shuri to take up his mantle until they can find him, but Shuri is reluctant. She opts instead for going on a search for T'Challa that will take her beyond Wakanda. Shuri is by Nnedi Okorafor, award-winning author of Binti and Who Fears Death. And this is the first comic that I've ever read by Nnedi Okorafor. How about you, Mana? Yeah, me too. And I guess they were capitalizing on the popularity of the character after Black Panther. Even though her story started before Black Panther, the movie came out, because her story started with the Tanahisi run of the Black Panther. Although the issues that I read in that, she was still kind of like in the astral plane. Remember that? Uh, apparently she came out of that with a few extra powers that connect her with the elders who are dead and can talk to her. She could also fly. Anyway, but this Shuri felt very different from the Shuri from the Black Panther movie. So I came into this exactly because of the Shuri character in the Black Panther movie, who was um, not only extremely intelligent and competent in science, but she was also very funny. And I didn't see a lot of this in the comic. I was expecting it to be a little more lighthearted. Yeah, it's really heavy. The whole plot centers around the fact that T'Challa is going into space into a wormhole and he's supposed to come right back and then he doesn't. 
And so he's just missing for the whole story. And Shuri and T'Challa have like a very close relationship. And so him being gone, it's just very heavy. It's very heavy content. And it's not only him, it's her boyfriend too, right? So her boyfriend went with T'Challa and her boyfriend's a mutant. So there are, there are, there are X-Men here. Actually, yes, there are X-Men here because... Aurora comes to help because Aurora is somehow dating Black Panther. I was so confused by that. Welcome to comics. <laughs> I was like, what? Where you just have to roll with it. You're like, okay, sure. Why not? I mean, how old is Aurora and how old is Black Panther? I think. Okay. Fine. So, yeah, I was also a little, not disappointed exactly, but confused about the fact that this character reads way different. But I guess that makes sense. Because this is comics, the Marvel Cinematic Universe's movies. You need a very different approach to writing a story like that versus a character in a film. And it does match the tone of the Tanahisi quotes run of Black Panther. It's not like they are completely divorced in, in terms of tone or storylines, even. They are falling from one another. I guess that I know that people would have come to the comics from the movie. And probably not having their expectations met. One part where I think that we see a Shuri more like the one in the MCU is the last part where Shuri teams up with Groot and Rocket and then also later Tony. Mm -hmm. Oh no, I was like, oh no. I'm like, okay, now you're court for it. Way to my heart. Way to my heart here. You got me. Bringing two of my favorite Marvel geniuses together. I really thought those hit the tone of the Shuri that we met in the MCU a little bit more. And I would love to see like a comic that's not heavy, that's not dealing with such heavy issues. Because T'Challa's gone and Shuri's being asked to take up the Black Panther mantle. And that's a, kind of a heavy thing. Like it's kind of hard to like find comedic situations with that. In the movie, Shuri's humor and her snarkiness came from interacting with people. So once she starts interacting with Groot and Rocket and then with Tony, some of that comes back. It matters who she's interacting with. The, the comic is also very complex. It's not really just about them wanting her to take the mantle of the Black Panther because there is a the context of this happening right after Wakanda showed itself to the rest of the world, one. And two, T'Challa wanting to be a part of a wider political encounter with other African nations and helping them and supporting them and actually communicating, I think, more even than helping them, communicating with the rest of Africa so that it's a more united front um, due to their very similar background, obviously. And and all of those things come as a point of pressure for Shuri, who is... It's just like her brother is gone. She needs to be Black Panther. They are asking for her to chime in with regards to this wider political context. And then all of a sudden there is a, an invading alien that came over because of a mistake that was made due to the her decision of going after T'Challa. There's a lot going on here. The fact that they basically bully her into being Black Panther... Yeah, absolutely. It's a voluntel situation. Like, she doesn't really agree so much as her mom tells people that she's accepted the mantle of Black Panther, and instead of, like, contradicting her mother, she just takes it. You're not going to make your mom look bad in front of people and call her a liar, probably. But I can see very much uh, Nadi Okorafor's writing 
there because it, it matches what the author has done with Pinti, what what she has done with her other novels in terms of it always being multi-layered, complex narratives that are not just one thing or the other or, or where characters can have and make easy choices. I could also see her hand here in that this book is full of a lot of female characters. There's a lot of them. There are councils of women. There, the narrative is centered on how women are responding to a crisis. There's so many of them that if you asked me to name the women in, the, in this narrative, I would be like, mm, there's a lot of them. I would have to go back and reference the book, which is amazing. Yeah, and bringing Storm in was really cool because she was always one of my favorite X-Men. There are some things that weren't resolved here that I'm actually curious to see where they go. So Sherry went to the Land of the Elders because she died in a previous iteration of another comic. And she came back. But when she came back, she brought like little ghost elders with her that follow her around. During the comic, she allows somebody to project her spirit into space so she could go and find T'Challa. And not only does that backfire because it actually brings an alien down on their head, it also does something to her connection with the elders. So she was kind of annoyed by them, but having her connection disrupted in a way like kind of upsets her. And I thought that was extremely fascinating because Fury is very science-focused. She's like, I'm going to find T'Challa with science. I'm not going to use any shenanigans. <laughs> when she doesn't have the ancestors with her, she's a little at sea. So maybe she likes them more than she thought. So I hope they go into that more in more detail in the next trade, which I will definitely read because I am interested. Where is T'Challa, in fact? He's probably like on some beach planet having a vacation. He's drinking alien mimosas. Maybe. How many space bees would you give this? I don't know. Between three and four, I think. I would give it four. I think it was maybe too serious for what I was looking for at the moment. So so it's maybe more me than than, than the trade. Uh, also, I didn't really go into it with too much expect- expectation because I no longer expect the MCU and comics to be in, in any way similar. I've just learned my lesson. Painful, painful lesson after many years and hundreds and hundreds of dollars spent on comics. So yeah, I'll stick with four. Like, I guess not all comics about teenage girls, superheroes, can be Miss Marvel. Shuri is indeed her own character. Fangirl Happy Hour is supported by our Space Bees in the Patreon Hive. We are incredibly grateful for everyone who keeps the show trekking along, who takes part in our polls, who puts up with my very intense Patreon posts. You're all wonderful, especially our $5 plus patrons. Thanks to Amanda, Eliza M, Karen, and Mark. To Amy, Brandy, and Derbla, thanks. Thanks to Clara, Jocelyn, and KJ. To Anne-Marie, Hedwig, and Jen, thank you so much. Thanks to Transcendancing, Chelsea, and Daniel. And last but not least, thanks to Margot, Philip, and Robin. You've been listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Please send us your favorite Avenge the Falling memes on Twitter at FangirlPod or email us at FangirlHappyHour at gmail.com. Our podcasting team includes our transcription queen, Susan, as well as our show artist, Ira. Their work is available at FangirlHappyHour.com. Our show team includes you too, yes, you, listening right now, plus our patrons and newsletter subscribers. Thanks for being awesome. Don't forget to drink water, 
contact all your house reps to demand impeachment and attention to your favorite policy issue, and treat yourself to cute otter videos at least once a day. And don't forget, we love you 3000. Thanks for listening to our show, Space Bees. See you next episode. No, wait, that's the Mario theme. That's not our theme music. That's the Mario <laughs> Brothers theme. Okay. Listen here, plane. What the fuck? All of a sudden, I got so sleepy. Anna's real bored. Talking to me. She's getting oh, tired. Oh, shut up. No. You just thought of doing this and you're just like, oh, I don't want to. Listen, don't start yawning. That's not good. I... You're going to infect me. <laughs> it's going to be your best. It's a fangirl happy hour, not a fangirl nappy hour. Anna, I didn't know you were going to say that. <laughs> my feelings. <laughs>